we're back with living the guy life today. I'm on my way back out to South Dakota. I'm going to go chase him around for a few days. And we're going to see if we can do some more beating down on them gray birds. Because that is one of my favorite things to do. It is a blast. We uh, should be good. The guys have been beating them up nice and steady. And it's 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 hopefully going to be a good one, boys. Wish us luck. Um, You know, now turkey season's, you know, creeping along, creeping along. Get your scouting in. Make sure to be... uh. Checking them roost trees because it's only a matter of time before we're out there killing again. Um, this turkey season, I'm excited about it. It's a little bit, little bit different. It's a little bit warmer than usual at this time of year. So, you know, it's got to make me scout a little bit earlier, which I am not opposed of. But uh, it's uh, it'll be fun. It'll be a really, really good time. So I'm excited, and I hope y'all are uh, still beating them up. Um, today's episode is brought to you by Chasing Fowl Outfitters. Come get in on the hunt with us and bring all your buddies. We want to meet them all, man. I just want to, you know, share them stories with you and those memories and get y'all guys a full experience on what it's like to hunt up in uh, Minnesota for them big geese. So make sure to check us out and go, uh, Go book a hunt, man. That'd be blast. I'd have a lot of fun with that. But today, we have a very special guest on, Forrest Carpenter. He is currently working for Dive Bomb, um, is a pilot, a cameraman, a championship caller, um, you name it. This dude does it all. And one of the nicest guys I have ever talked to, willing to help a hand to really anybody about anything. Like, you can reach out to this dude, and he is just there to help other people. And it's great to see that in the waterfall industry now more than ever. So, please uh, please get ready for this one, and uh, we're going to rock and roll. So, enjoy. <laughs> And we are live with episode 36 of Living the Guide Life. And we have Forrest Carpenter on today, who is a photographer, pilot, outdoorsman, um, a media and marketing specialist at Dive Bomb, and also a two-time world champion goose caller. Um, Forrest, how are we doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well. It's finally getting nice up here in Minnesota. I believe it. Yeah, it's uh, funny you mentioned that. I just looked outside and it's starting to snow here in Colorado. So I hope you're enjoying things. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's about 50 degrees out right now. I was in a t-shirt all day, basically. Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I I think uh, if, if we hadn't spent most of the winter at 50 to 60 degrees, it probably would be feeling a little bit nicer, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, we had uh, we had a little bit of a cold front. I mean, right in February for us, but for the rest of the season, it's been warm. Like everywhere that I've, everybody that I've talked to, it's been warm all around the country for waterfowl hunting. I mean, oh, yeah, it hasn't made things any easier, especially for those southern states. You know, I I feel like I I wouldn't have had half the season I had if I hadn't been hunting north of Colorado. You know, I feel like my best hunts were in Washington and Wyoming and yeah. yeah all the all the northern states treated me pretty well 
Well, that's good to hear that. Yeah, I mean, the snow makes a huge game changer uh, for us. And we barely had any of that this year. I'm hoping you guys had some snow where you were hunting. Um, on occasion, I mean, <laughs> it just, it didn't pan out to be a whole lot, you know, yeah. dusting there. I think I had, uh, finally the, the last weekend of the season, I was hunting in Torrington, Wyoming with, oh. uh, <clears throat> with some buddies of mine up there that run high plains waterfowl. And man, we had a bunch of snow and just like the rest of the country, it was cold. But I mean, I think the, it, it was, it was like Minnesota weather, you know, it was, high of 13 below and a low at 24 <laughs> below with some wind but, uh, that had those geese cooperating pretty darn well so if i could go back and do that one again that 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 would definitely be on my list oh absolutely yeah i'm used to that weather quite a bit living up here i mean i believe it yeah it, it gets terrible we had we had like that two week stretch and it was like negative 50 to negative 20 that entire two weeks in february oh, holy cow yeah it was not fun at all but as we uh i kind of want to dig into your story because i know i feel like a lot of guys know about you at dive bomb your competition calling but how did that kind of all start uh which one dive bomb or contest calling uh contest calling or just and that yeah your kind of life goes, story that goes way back um so that would be uh, 2001, um, I was 11 years old. I had just shot my first duck and I was absolutely, you know, just, just like most people are afterwards, just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't stand thinking about anything but waterfowling. Um, so there was a local radio show that was holding a contest, basically call in, make your best animal noise, be it, you know, a donkey or a pig or whatever. Yeah. And you got free tickets to the sportsman's expedition. And they had a uh, gentleman by the name of Chad Shear uh, on there. Who's a world champion out caller and just super, super talented outdoorsman. Uh, and anyway, long story short, I call in as this 11 year old kid, uh, end up blowing a duck call. He likes what he hears, invites me down to the sportsman's expo and then introduces me to a gentleman by the name of Mike Keller. Well, Mike Keller ran big guys, best duck calls. He was based out of uh, the Kansas city area for a long time until he passed away. Um, and he spent his time, uh, or spent whatever time I asked him to teaching me how to blow a duck call over the phone. So, uh, he'd give me things to work on I'd practice on it for a week, call him back and, you know, would chip away and chip away. And after a couple months time, he said, you know, Hey, we got a calling contest out here in Kansas city back before it was Rogers, uh, putting on the contest galleons used to put on a contest. So went out there, got started. And, uh, you know, it's funny. There were, there were, uh, three of us that competed a lot. And, uh, you know, for those of you who listen to duck calling contests or keep up with it, uh, the other two guys were dusty banner and Jody Nickham. Uh, brother of Corey Nickham and Corey uh, helped a lot or got some some help here and there from Mike too I'm sure but um, you know he he worked with me and and those guys and we used to go travel around and blow and calling contests and man it, it just kind of took off from there and you know after enjoying the duck calling stuff anywhere you go where there's a duck calling contest there's usually a goose calling contest so um, I kind of started mainly on my own but you know throughout the years ended up getting a ton of help from all sorts of guys um 
guys that that judged contests or, or like one of my best friends john david stanley he and i drove around together and i i used to just do my best to be a carbon copy of him and yeah. tim and Hunter browns have always done a bunch so man I, i've just been really blessed to, to meet a lot of people and and to uh you know get to travel and and do a bunch of this stuff and if it wasn't for my parents or these people that helped me um you know i, I definitely wouldn't have been where I, i've gotten today yeah absolutely and those contest cons, I mean, how many how many people usually participate in those? You know, it, it varies. Uh, obviously, it just depends where you are, what part of the country you're in, and you know, the frankly, the the support for calling contests or the uh, the number of people who enter these calling contests has kind of dwindled in the past. Uh, the past probably five or six years, especially things have gone down. And with that prize money's gone down and that keeps, you know, some people from being interested enough to do it. Uh, you know, it's it just kind of a shame, but, um, that's the way things have kind of gone recently is downhill for contest calling. So now instead of say there used to be for your average open contest, 20 to 30 guys. Wow. Now there's probably 10 to 15. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing how much it's, it's dwindled in the past, but, um, you know, myself, Kyle Jones and a few other guys, you know, you'll, if you kind of keep up with things online, we're really doing our best to try to get things going again. And, and that all kind of starts with the, uh, die bomb contest we're putting on later in, in June, actually. So we're, we're really trying to get that revamped and, and kind of give calling contests a little bit of a jump start and see what we can't do to help grow this sport. So it continues on for generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. And for the guys and girls that don't know about the die bomb calling contest that you guys are holding this summer, um, uh-huh. kind of, what what do you guys kind of plan on doing that, and what's kind of going to go on there? Uh, man, it's going to be a party. Is basically what it's going to be. We're going to have. Um, we'll start with a calling contest. So we're going to have a uh, a two man duck calling contest uh, Friday the eleventh. Uh, and that's going to be like a, a really informal deal. We're going to have catered barbecue mm. and have people sitting outside at tables. Uh, you know, for most competitions, the, the competitors are stashed away in a corner and hidden from everybody. This one, it's not going to be a, a big money kind of contest. This one's going to be just having fun. So yeah. we're going to have people out there eating, go up on stage, blow, come back, sit at their table, uh, going to have some sweet prizes for that and then saturday the big day really kicks off um we're going to have uh novice duck uh so it's a novice meat duck calling contest uh which is going to pay a thousand dollars to the winner and a bunch of prize packages through fifth place uh thing for the novice goose uh it's also going to be a thousand dollars in prize packages so uh as far as novice contest goes i've never heard of one or never been around one that pays a thousand dollars um but I'm not going to say they, they didn't exist in the past, but I will say this is uh, one of the best, if not the best, novice payments uh, ever, uh, biggest purses. So if you're a, a, a novice caller, someone who's never won a, uh, a duck or goose calling contest, uh, respectively, whatever category you want to blow in outside of the junior division, um, we'd love to have you come and compete and try that out. Then after that, we're going to do the open uh, meat duck and open goose calling contest. And these are going to be pretty impressive payouts. So, um, oh, let's see. I think uh, we're going to pay 5000 to the winner 
of each of those contests. Uh, and then let me pull up the, uh, the the pricings here afterwards. So let's see. Yeah, five thousand. Then second is twenty five hundred. Third is twelve fifty. Fourth is seven fifty. And fifth is going to be five hundred um, as of right now. And, and that's kind of we, we should be able to make that happen pretty easily. And um, that's going to make for a heck of a, uh, a draw for guys coming. Um, and then after the open contest, we're going to do the junior contest. And um, right now we've got a bunch of prize packages, but uh, along with all of these uh, contests, we're trying to include hunt giveaways, which is something that's pretty new. Uh, you know, it's not something that's usually done in contests. So for these folks, not only are they going to be looking at some really nice purses, they're also going to be looking at the opportunity to go and hunt in a different part of the country. Um, so it's, it's going to be a pretty neat deal as far as the calling contest is concerned. Then, um, the rest of the stuff that we're going to be doing, man, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be basically like a dive bomb open house. So you're going to be able to come in, buy decoys without having to pay for shipping and, and just pick them up right there in-house. Um, we're going to have some food trucks. We're going to be doing seminars. We've got some really big names from some really knowledgeable people, uh, not only on hunting, but as far as waterfowl in general. We've actually been talking to a biologist about coming and doing a really neat talk Uh about some different waterfowl. So uh, it's going to be a really awesome deal. Come check it out, take a tour of the facility, load up on what dive bomb gear you've been wanting to get. Uh, and this should be uh, right around the right time that we've got just about everything you could want in stock. We're, we're really building inventory for this thing. So um, it's going to be a pretty awesome event there, the 11th and 12th of June. And we're going to be in, uh, it's Maryland Heights, Missouri. It's a suburb of St. Louis there on the, the west end of town. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's great to hear. I mean, to have all those people come down, that'll be an absolute blast. It really will. So I'm, I'm excited and we'll see. I think uh, not only we'll, we'll see how the border is, but there's, we, we've got a handful of Canadians as well, of a bunch of uh, well-known American guys that want to be there. And uh, we're going to have a bunch of call makers, that, that kind of thing. So it's going to be a really great opportunity, uh, not only to get information, you know, to go to the seminars, but to also meet, um, all these people face to face, uh, whether it's you know, God, Jeff Foyles or any of the other call makers that are coming to Hunter Grounds, uh, myself, Kyle, we'll all be there. Asher, um, you know, basically come, you know, shake our hand and would love to love to be able to introduce ourselves and get to meet all these people that we talk to online all the time. You know, we we do so much direct to consumer marketing with, uh, you know, marketing being based off social media platforms that we talk to a lot of people and know a lot of usernames, but when it comes down to actually getting to meet people, we don't do as much of that as we'd like to. So come on down. We'd, we'd love to get to meet you and, and show you a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that's the thing with social media. I mean, you can talk to so many different people now um, and that'll be great to see the face and uh, shake a hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a game changer in my mind. I mean, that's that's kind of my favorite thing about the, the in-person stuff is building actual connections with people. Yeah, absolutely. And then I wanted to dig into the dive bomb calling clinic that you guys created on Facebook. What was the thought process behind that? Well, I, Kyle uh, Kyle Jones and I, you know, when when he came over and started working for us, man, it, it was, it was awesome. You know, he and I are really, really similar. I mean, we're the, the classic brother from another mother sort of thing. And we, <laughs> we think similarly on a lot of stuff. Um, not only, 
calling wise, but also just ethics in general. We try to try to be professional guys and, and really try to represent not only our country or our company, but our, uh, you know, our, our industry well. Yeah. So um, when we started talking and, and coming up with ideas of how we could help waterfowling in general, uh, you know, if you look through Facebook, there is a lot of conversation centered around calls, but very little genuine instruction stuff where people are able to ask for help uh, without getting ridiculed and, and beat up by, you know, the, the classic <laughs> roles. Uh, yeah. So we want to, we wanted to create a friendly environment for people to be able to come on here, post videos of themselves uh, without being shy and, and feeling like they're going to get ripped on and, and torn down by these internet know-it-alls uh, where they could genuinely get some help. So I, I feel like it's been a great success thus far. We've got a lot of, a lot of people and usually a few posts every day of, of someone new reaching out, asking for advice or a uh, little help with this note or that note. And we also post general videos on how to uh, teach this stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a fun place where Kyle and I and, and other, uh, you know, really talented callers uh, pitch in and, and try to just help people. And, you know, like I say, not ridicule them for not being where they want to be or, you know, be at a, a world championship level. So it's, it's a pretty neat deal we got going on over there. Yeah. Cause I mean, online, those big waterfall group chats, they will tear into you if you oh, try to post anything. And, and it doesn't even matter who you are. I mean, gosh, I've, I've seen, don't get me wrong. I mean, Trevor Shanahan, he, he does like to talk on the internet for sure, but the dude can blow a goose call and a duck call as well as anybody else in the world. Uh, and you know, I've, I've seen guys ripping on stuff that he does. It's like, man, like, come on, give, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great thing just to build that community and a safe spot for people to really express and to learn on like how to do different things. Cause I've, I've watched your guys' calling and I think it's made me a better caller just in general. Um, well, so it's been very fun to see that and see the tips that you guys give from being such great callers. Well, we're, we're glad it helps. I mean, honestly, if it, if it even just helped one person, it would be worth the time that we put into it. So, um, you know, I'm thrilled to hear that you get on there and I mean, heck even just people knowing that it exists is a good thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it, man. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen guys, some of my Facebook friends and stuff, dads and whatnot that I'd never expect to see on there. And I'm looking through it. I'm like, Oh, he's on there. Never expect that he's on there. Okay, cool. Absolutely. So it kind of, opens it up to really everybody from all age ranges. age ranges. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the idea. We want it to be, you know, something where everyone can partake and, uh, get something out of the deal. Yeah, absolutely. And then you guys got, um, the YouTube as well. I was watching the calling ducks as a team. Um, I mean, you guys got it kind of really on all platforms. Yeah, we're, we're trying to do that. And that one's kind of out of the, uh, the field facts with forest deal. And, and if, you know, if you haven't checked that out, that's kind of a neat thing too. It's, it's less, um, it, it's basically like, like school for waterfowling, yeah. uh, you know, sit down and talk about a lot of stuff. And, and that one was the first one that Kyle and I did together, uh, where we talked about different calling scenarios and, and we'll be, we got another one of those coming out here shortly. Um, uh, but man, in that series, we've got stuff. I, I'm, 
covered a lot of questions. Basically, uh, a, a lot of them started with just being silhouette related. You know, hey, can I, can I hunt over them with full bodies? How yeah. do I do it? Then it kind of went to, you know, things from like, I don't know, hunting hunting graders and lessers together or the differences between the Canada subspecies and, and how you hunt them uh, to uh, public land etiquette. I mean, there's there's all sorts of really cool stuff that we cover um, covering that series. Yeah, because, yeah, that's how I heard about the field facts that you do um, was from the silhouette and full body discussion that everyone was talking about. And so that was really neat to kind of see that. And then some of your waterfall photography that you talked about on there, um, early season hunting, all that kind of good stuff. And so, yeah. No, I'm, I'm again. I'm, I'm just glad someone's gone out there and seen it. It's one of those that, you know, it's it's not the most riveting uh, of shows. You know, it's not just a cliffhanger with super awesome graphics and that kind of thing. It's me sitting in a hangar talking about hunting. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad glad someone's watching it. I know it, it doesn't stack up the views quickly, but uh, you know, I think over time it's going to be one of those things where you know people who are genuinely looking for information, it's a great place to find it. Uh, and you can rewatch it five or six times to try and, and catch everything that gets covered in there. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to make sure that the information's out there, um, you know, and that's kind of our philosophy at Dive Bomb is, you know, we, we're we going to have more and more waterfowlers, hopefully. Otherwise, our sport's going to die. Yeah. But we want more and more guys coming out there, and we want to give them the right information to be able to do things the right way. The last thing that we want, is that public land guy to come in, show up at sunrise and, and sit just downwind your spread and swing shoot you. So, you know, we're, we're going to try and do everything we can to put information out there, not only on how to do things uh, and why birds do certain things, but also how to do them without pissing off your fellow hunters uh, or how to do it without making a bad name for waterfowlers in general or, or hunters in general, because frankly, we're in a political climate that's not very conducive to outdoorsmen. So we, we really got to kind of walk on eggshells and tread lightly around, uh, you know, the, the world basically with, with how easy it is to navigate social media these days. Oh, absolutely. And I think you guys have a great job of doing that and portraying um, waterfowlers in general, just because, I mean, I talked to Bart Ramsey last week and we were talking about like the difference between UK trial dog runs and like American and he was saying that if you're not like known in that industry in the UK, like they will not let you come in. No one's allowed, like you can't even sit and watch because of how many people hate hunting over there and will try to take videos and like just blow it out of proportion. And I feel like that's kind of, there's some people that like to do that in America, not on as an extent as the UK, but this is a great way to kind of show waterfowlers um, and who we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, if, if you don't take the time and the effort to make a good impression, people are going to make an impression on their own and they're, you know, it's going to take, it, it's, it's a lot easier to find negative stuff than it is positive stuff pretty much for no matter what you're doing or what you're trying to look into. Um, you know, I think we all kind of know that heck you even watch the news at night and it's still, 
you know, tough to find positive things going on in the world. So, you know, if we don't go out there and really work hard to, to make a positive impression and show that we're not only hunters, but also conservationists and, you know, people who are passionate about these animals and, and more passionate than, you know, 99% of, uh, you know, anti-hunters or people who, you know, just claim to, to love the birds. You know, I'd, I'd challenge any of them to a, to a, to a heck, just a, a general knowledge test about waterfowl and migrations and, and conservation in general. You know, there's, there's a, that aspect gets overlooked far too often, you know, and, and how passionate that we outdoorsmen are, uh, not only about the outdoors in general, but also about, you know, the, the birds or the animals that we, uh, you know, chase on a regular basis. Yeah. I'm with you. And like all of people ask me, they're like, why do you like to hunt waterfowl, whatever it is? Do you just like to shoot ducks? And I'm like, no man, like it's all about conservation and, uh, like for snow geese, keeping those limits, uh, like helping the Arctic circle or whatever it is, building public lands. I know I've done some work on my own property, uh, to build those habitats for ducks and just different stuff like that that people don't really see. Um, right. And I feel like that's a great way to kind of portray it to people um, that aren't as educated on waterfowl hunting as we are. Right. And so it's, it's cool. Like I, it's cool to be able to share with my friends on some of those experiences and building some wood duck houses or whatever it is, um, anything that we can do. And that just, I kind of keep it for the younger generation that's coming up um, because we like, we like to help the other generations come in and uh, kind of show that, show that to people. And that's what I feel like you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And then I wanted to, uh, I wanted to dig into your plane and how you kind of became a pilot and now the dive bomb plane and everything. Oh my gosh. Well, um, man, that's just something I, I grew up around is airplanes. You know, some guys grew up around, dirt bikes or four wheelers. I grew up in a family of pilots. My, uh, my grandpa flew for continental airlines, um, you know, back in the days of the DC three and flew everything from that to the 747. And, um, my dad just retired from continental. My grandma and mom were both flight attendants. My wife was even a flight attendant for a while. So wow. it's just I've been around and immersed in aviation my whole life. Um, and my grandpa uh, owned a, a Piper Super Cub that he gave me my first ride with my dad, uh, you know, when I was a little under a year old. Uh, and it's funny, last night I, I just gave my son his first airplane ride in that same airplane. So, wow. you know, it's just something that I've, I've grown up around. And while I've had other things going on in life, be it, you know, baseball or college, that kind of stuff, you know, I've, uh, you know, I, I always had flying in the back of my mind. and you know, it wasn't until I think it was seven years ago now uh, that I really got serious about aviation and flying. So, um, you know, I, I finally went out and got my pilot's license and, and started doing a lot more flying. Um, but my goal with aviation uh, was to go fly for a fishing lodge in Alaska that I worked for. So I, I used to spend my summers as a fly fishing guide up there uh, okay. in Western Alaska. And uh, my goal was to eventually fly float planes for them. And my dad runs a, a float plane flying school out of 
uh, Wasilla. They're just north of Anchorage. Um, so I've, I've always had this kind of common interest with my dad. And, um, you know, through a long, long process of building time and getting small jobs that work up to medium-sized jobs and so on and so forth, I was able to finally climb enough rungs in the ladder to start doing that. Um, you know, and, and doing so, I learned how to do a lot of really fun and, you know, what, what a lot of people think is pretty cool stuff. So, um, one day Cody Stokes was out hunting with a a good mutual friend of ours, Brayden Gwenzie. Um, and I, I usually go in and, uh, hunt with Brayden a lot more in the past before I, you know, started traveling with dive bomb and all, but yeah. When I go out there, it's like a three hour drive. So instead of driving, I'd just fly my grandpa's airplane out there, have someone pick me up and, uh, you know, save about an hour and a half in the morning. Um, so I was out there, I'd flown out to go hunt with Braden and, uh, Cody and, and all the guys. And, um, well, while we were out hunting, you know, Cody was really interested in the airplane and, you know, the thought of, you know, flying and that kind of thing. I said, man, why don't, why don't we just go for a ride? It's like, what? Yeah, well, let's, this, I mean, this time's kind of slow right now. Anyway, why don't you and I bug out? And let's go. Let's go fly in the airplane. So, um, I gave him a ride in my grandpa's Super Cub, and he loved every second of it. Uh, he was so jacked up; uh, you could tell it was it was something that he just really enjoyed. And you know, he, you know, kind of threw it out to like, "Hey, man, you know, I I need to get one of these for for the company." And I I kind of laughed it off. Well, three months later, he called me. He's like, "Hey, man, um, have you?" found an airplane yet wait what (laughs) uh, ended up being like oh all right cool so we'll get serious and and i spent a bunch of time hunting and found uh found an airplane and uh man the the rest is history yeah that's awesome because i love when you guys do like the drops with the airplane or the cool shots over that creek that was really neat oh yeah that uh man there's we have so much fun with that that thing it, it just opens up a lot of possibilities especially for a company that travels as much as we do you know i mean we are constantly on the road and um gosh there was one this year that you'll see i think the video should come out uh, pretty darn good uh where basically kyle and i needed to get up to uh we were going from hunting in wyoming to hunting in washington and we needed to get to a flight in uh, Billings, hmm. and I just just picked him up right out of the field with the airplane, and we flew from Wyoming to Billings, landed, and <laughs> tied the airplane down, got on our commercial flight, and finished our way off over there to Washington. So you know, we we get to do some really awesome stuff. That's uh, I don't know, I, I feel like it's pretty unique to the uh, to waterfowling. There's not a whole lot of companies that have an airplane involved, <laughs> and it's. It's just a lot of fun. You know, people get a kick out of me coming through a river bottom and dropping some hats and hoodies out or breakfast burritos or, you know, just, just little stuff here and there. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys like are able to do so many cool things to kind of separate yourself from just everyone else in the outdoor industry. It's yes. Yeah. And and the reason behind that is, um, Cody, you know, the, the owner of the company, I mean, he does such an awesome job with giving us creative freedom and trusting us, uh, you know, to, to come up with cool ideas to basically serve our customers the best we can, because we, you know, I, I, I hope that that's what people see sets us apart is not just our products 
uh, or our prices, but the way that we treat our customers, because, you know, that's, that's kind of been one of our big focuses is we know that none of us have food on our table or, you know, a roof over our head. If it wasn't for the folks like y'all buying our decoys, uh, and, and really keeping us busy and giving us the opportunity to have this job. So we just try to keep things in perspective, try to think about things that people would appreciate, uh, and really kind of just do our best to cater to our customers in a way that most companies aren't able to. Yeah. And like we kind of talked about building the community of like what you guys have building that dive bomb community of everyone wants to help each other out um, and kind of show that through the calling clinics and through that big uh, squad fest that you guys got going on. It's just very neat to see that because in waterfowling, you will see some mean comments on the uh, social media and whatnot, but it's really cool to, you know, see that everyone wants to help each other. Yeah. Yep. No, that's, that's the coolest thing. And, and starting to see that a little bit more outside of the dive bomb related stuff is, you know, seeing it more frequently, I should say, is kind of one of the biggest rewards and one of the ways that tells us that we're doing things right and trying to, you know, have an impact on waterfowling as a whole and not just our own little community, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with the public land stuff um, that you guys were digging into, that's, that's really cool to see just because not everyone can get private permission on different things like that and to kind of build that community as well and say, Hey, instead of you guys going 50 yards down, maybe we just hunt together. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's just a different mindset that most people aren't, you know, typically open to, you know, it's, and and all it takes is for someone to say, Hey, maybe instead of fighting each other, you just kind of suck it up shake someone's hand and, and meet someone new. Who knows? Maybe you make a good friend out of the deal. Yeah. And I, like I was talking to uh, Ben Potter and his hunt 41 film, um, the one when he did in California and they hunted the public land. He's like, Hey man, everyone's out here to have a good time. And so like, you might as well make the most of it, give people their space. Um, if they're close, maybe let's hunt together, whatnot, but it's everyone wants to have fun and that's why they do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, heck, I went, uh, I went out to a public spot here in Colorado a couple times this year and showed up and had people there. Uh, and one of them I beat to it, but the parking lot's a long way away from where you actually hunt. So I walked the road back instead of walking through the, the brush. Uh, and when I pulled up, there were some guys who had just pulled up and parked, uh, who didn't know I had all my stuff unloaded and already taken out. Yeah. So, um, he was a little upset and I, uh, you know, I talked to him and, and that one, he would have hunted with me, but that was the day that Lila had, uh, my dog only had five retrieves left to hit 10,000. So she mm-hmm. got her 10,000 to retrieve that day. And, and I, you know, asked him, I said, Hey man, here's my phone number. If you need anything, please holler and, and please don't take this the wrong way. But, you know, today is kind of a day that's, uh, you know, kind of special to me and, and I'm going to need this one on my own. And, and he understood. Uh, and then there was another one where I got beat, just got to talk to these guys about, you know, Hey, where, where can I go where I'm not going to mess you up? And they said, wait a minute, I, I think I know who you are actually. Why don't you just come out with us? Yeah. And I, I don't want to intrude, but sure. Um, and, and uh, those guys are both now, uh, you know, pretty good friends. So it's, it's just kind of just taking that, second to step back you know get your hand away from the big red button and uh 
introduce yourself to people and, and who knows, you know, I mean, you can, you can do some things that, that are pretty beneficial, even if you're not hunting together, you know, you, you can work, you know, figure out where they're hunting, hunting to some, some place where, you know, it's going to be mutually beneficial for you guys to keep the birds moving or, or something like that. I mean, there's just, there's so many different things you can do as opposed to just get pissed off and start screaming at each other. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. And like hunting up in Minnesota, I mean, every once in a while, we'll run into guys that also have permission to the same field or whatnot. Right. And yep. I mean, I'd rather hunt with them if we can, um, instead of kind of fighting about it. And I've made some great friends doing that. And Heck yeah. yeah, just people need to kind of slow down a little bit, calm down and realize, Hey man, this could be a, your next best friend or whatever it is. You never know. Yeah. And, and I mean, really, uh, you know, whether you're the guy that knows more, or you're the guy that needs to learn some stuff. Uh, sometimes you don't know until you, you know, take that couple minutes to, to talk to someone and, uh, you know, open that door to not only a friendship, but also, uh, you know, a, maybe a, a lasting, uh, partnership to where you, you can benefit from this other person's knowledge or vice versa. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had a, we had a great deal up in North Dakota. I think it was two years ago. We were up chasing snow geese in the fall and uh, found this big feed. And we're in an area that nobody waterfowl hunts, mainly moose hunters and pheasant hunters, way up in like the northwest corner of uh, North Dakota. And right. we were watching this field and whatnot, and we saw a truck drive past. We thought it was just like some workers for the oil rigs up there or whatnot. And it ended up being the farmer who... Uh, who was actually going to hunt the next day. And so I started talking to him. I'm like, yeah, man, it's only me and another buddy. We were going to go hunt it. But I mean, if we could hunt with you guys or do something like that, um, doesn't matter to me. We have a couple other feeds, but like we can make it work out. He's like, well, I've never really hunted snow geese before. Kind of what do you guys think we should do? What are some of the spreads that you guys usually run, whatnot? And we ended up hunting with them two days in a row for the last two days of our hunting shot shot the snow geese up really well and i mean those guys have invited me to go chase snow geese on like multiple different trips and i consider them my friends now and just local guys from a middle middle of nowhere town in north dakota that's awesome so yeah i mean it's like stuff like that that really really makes me happy to see in the waterfall community yeah i'm with you man that's that's what it's all about. You know, that's one thing that waterfowling has over uh, really any other kind of hunting is the social aspect. You know, it's not like you can sit eight guys deep in a tree stand, and, you know, sit there and BS through the morning and still expect to get a deer. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. I mean, waterfowling and the memories you make and then for you as well, like taking those photos and remembering those stories and those hunts is just like such a cool thing. Oh my gosh, man! I, I I can't tell you how often I just sit there and go back through all my uh, all my pictures and all that on my you know on my phone and just relive all this stuff, whether it's videos or uh, pictures. Man, I I just absolutely love all of it. It's so cool to be able to to go back and relive this stuff. Yeah, and how did you kind of get into photography? You know, it's just something that I've always kind of been interested in. Um, let's see. I, I think when well, I was 
it was before I could drive. I think I was 15 and uh, my mom had gotten a camera to take pictures of me playing baseball. Uh, and I, I asked her if I could take hunting once and, and went out on a banger of a field mallard hunt back when Colorado had really, really, really good field duck hunting. Yeah. Uh, and got some really cool pictures, actually. I mean, I, I still kind of look back at some of them, and even though the camera wasn't that great of quality <laughs> and the, the pictures aren't crystal clear, I mean, man, I I look back and, and remember that hunt like I am, you know, just in the truck pulling out of the field. So, um, you know, that's what kind of set the hook for me was being able to, to take the pictures. Uh, and I had already killed my ducks. And when I, when I think back, you know, and, and even that night, you know, afterwards, I could feel a better connection with that hunt through the photos than I did actually killing the ducks. Um, so that's when it kind of, kind of got real for me. I was like, wow, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could do some more of this because it's just as fun to be taking a picture, you know, through a lens. Cause you, you got to finish the birds really depending on the pictures you're trying to take, you got to finish birds better than you would on your average hunt. You know, if a hunt gonna is so, so, you know, if you're not finishing birds right out front, the decoys or the lights wrong, you know, you're shooting, black silhouettes you can shoot them you know belly up at 25 yards they scrape over the blind or something yeah uh, you take pictures of that but after your first four thousand pictures of a bird with a blue sky background or a, a black <laughs> silhouette bird in the clouds it's like well that I, i've got enough of those let's let's <laughs> do what can't do so you know it's 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 in my opinion a little bit more challenging than than hunting in general uh just because you got to learn how to play the light uh more than anything, you know, you, you got to make the wind work to the light that you need to get. Uh, you get good with your camera settings and it's a lot more difficult than, you know, just getting used to, well, maybe I need three inch twos for this load or, or two and three quarter inch, you know, TSS nines. I mean, it's, it's so much more in depth than just choosing a gun, choosing a shot shell and getting birds close enough to, you know, scratch them out of the air. You know, you really got to dedicate yourself to it. And it, it's taught me more about how to hunt and how to trick birds uh, and finish them completely than I ever knew uh, prior to picking up a camera. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause there's like certain shots like you're describing. I mean, you get tired of them cause you have enough of them and then you just got to kind of figure out those new angles, how you can take a shot from here, how you can take a shot from there in the blind and get those birds to really come in and get that full frame of picture. Yeah. Yep. And oh, I love, uh, sorry about that. I love, uh, I love your small water Creek greenhead photo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks man. Dude, that was, that was one of those days where whether it was with a shotgun or a camera, you couldn't do anything wrong. You know, <laughs> Curtis got me up there in Wyoming and, um, man, that the guy, he'd never hunted this ditch. And, uh, you know, he's had access to it and he's hunted different stretches of it, you know, up or down and never really had the need to get on a whole bunch of ducks. But, uh, you know, I think he's for what he prefers to chase, but, uh, he lined up a great goose feed and called me the night before. And he's like, dude, I got a bunch of geese in this field. I'm like, man, that's awesome. I'd probably come on up there. How about, how about the ducks you were talking about earlier? Well, I mean, yeah, I've, I've got some ducks. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, you think we'd go chase them? Wait, really? You want to do that? Yeah. So, um, he ended up talking to the, uh, to the manager of the property there and 
he was going to meet us and, and drive us down to where we needed to go as far as to get access and let us through the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had to get some deer hunters dropped off first and get them going the right direction. Well, long story short, he was running late, didn't get us down there until uh, we were unloading the truck with uh, six minutes until shooting light. Never seen the place. No idea where we're going to hide. Uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see the water spot in this creek that I could jump across and, uh, you know, wondering where we're going to stick two dozen decoys because the thing is literally as wide as the desk I'm sitting at right now. Uh, and we go and, and we find this spot that's wide enough that you could stick, I don't know, maybe four duck floaters abreast in it. And they'd be touching the shoreline on each side, rubbing shoulders. Yeah. Uh, out two dozen decoys and as we're you know as i'm unbagging decoys um i look over and and kurt just kind of like he gets that deer in the headlights look and as i said what i heard the wind off of the or not heard felt the wind off of the wings of a duck on the back of my neck um i mean we're talking within feet of me on this thing it was like all right let's let's just get in here and hide absolutely unreal um, ducks all morning trickling, uh, shooting them at, you know, three feet, five feet, uh, on the close end. And then the, the farthest shot I think we took that day was probably 15 yards and it was a, you know, a second or third shot follow-up kind of thing. So, uh, man, it was, that was pretty epic. Sat there and took pictures for a while and, and then got to do it all over again later with Kyle and, and Ryan and Kurt's, uh, Kurt's, uh, I think cousin. Um, we all went down and did it again. And that's the one that's on YouTube now, but, uh, man, that, that first one was, that was something that'll always hold a a very special place in my heart. Yeah. That's such a cool, I've always wanted to hunt like a small Creek like that. And I had, I'd never, I'd never done anything like that either. And, and I've been blessed, you know, hunting is my living. I travel and I've spent a, a decade guiding, um, you know, I've been doing all sorts of really cool stuff and I didn't feel like there were many things that I had missed out on or, or had left to really check off. But man, I, I guess I just didn't know you could hunt ducks out of a ditch <laughs> <laughs> and have ridiculous success like that. So man, it, it opened my eyes. That's for sure. Yeah. After I saw that, I, uh, we started looking around some marks. We have a bunch of drainage ditches. We had like a couple, like, I don't know, 25, 50 mallards in it. We actually went out and hunted it, and that was a blast. They get so close, and it's like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you can hide well, the thing is, when it's kind of like the flooded timber. When they commit to coming into something that small, once their head goes down and their feet come out, they're done looking for you. They are trying not to hit stuff. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they're they're dodging the cattails to get under them to sit on the water. Yeah, it was it was like nothing else. And for you guys, I mean, five feet is just insane. I mean, to be Did that you, close well, to a duck flying around. No, it's it's wild. I mean, I don't know. I, I like to. I try to carry myself in a very professional manner, not be one of the, you know, one of the guys who's screaming after you shoot or, you know, I, I'm an emotional guy, but I try to, you know, kind of act like I've been there and, and try to, you know, set a good example again for waterfowling in general and hunting and all that. Not that emotion's bad by any means, but I just try to kind of keep it, keep it even keeled. Yeah. Dude, I was losing 
<laughs> my mind through this like laughing because ducks are like literally foot and a half from me like genuinely scared because i thought i was going to get hit in the face with a wing you know like what in the world is going on there's a scene in there uh, on the one that's on youtube you can you can go oh my god he almost hit me and it was just sheer reaction and i honestly was a little bit scared that i was slapped in the face by this freaking mallard that's not something you have to worry about most of the time you know but god I need to bring a helmet next time. Mouth guards in. <laughs> you just get full padded up for this thing to start tackling oh, ducks. Well, I didn't know hunting ducks was a contact sport. God, I you could debate it's even like as rough as football. I mean, just coming in, beaten down. It would it would be something. I mean, it was. I won't forget. We'll just say that. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and like you were saying. Uh, for the people that don't hunt waterfall and like the community that we show, that's like some of the stuff that you would never get to experience if you never hunted waterfall. Oh my gosh. No. I mean, I don't, I don't care how many loaves of bread you take to the local park. It's not the same as, you know, chasing and, and being that close to wild duck, uh, who, especially in the central flyway, they don't even get banded. Like they don't have close encounters with people and they're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, Wyoming's middle of nowhere anyway. Yeah. They're in one of the most remote parts of Wyoming. Like we, these ducks have had zero encounters with human beings and it was just so cool to be near something so wild, uh, and so beautiful. And, and it just a waterfowlers and photographers paradise. I mean, I, I could have sat there and, and reveled in that day forever. I mean, I think we sat there for four hours and took pictures just because we didn't want it to end. Yeah. We had our duck taking turns, shooting one duck out of each little group that came. We had our ducks in a hurry and we waited, you know, through the first 15 minutes, which was definitely the hottest and heaviest action. I mean, we, we drug that out as much as we possibly could. <laughs> and I could go back and, and redo that a million times. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's just something you would never see, like, unless you did waterfowl hunting. And I mean, like, if you're even a waterfowl photographer, like that, just you never, never would encounter that. Right. Yes. No, I mean, you, you work really, really hard for many, many years to have a chance at something like that. And, um, you know, I get to got to go out and do it twice in the same season. <laughs> Oh yeah. And like, like we we're saying, I mean, the different spots you get to see as a waterfowler and for you, I mean, all the places that you guys travel is unbelievable. It really is, man. I mean, I am, I am super blessed and you know, they, they say, you know, do something you love for a living and you'll never work a day in your life. You know, I mean, that's, that's very true. And there, there are work aspects of it. You know, we, yeah. you know, we've, we've got, we've got a lot of things we try to accomplish and, you know, we're, we're trying to make really high quality products. We're trying to, to keep an image going and, you know, it, it's not like everything goes seamlessly and, and we're all just high fiving and, and chest bumping all the way around all the time. Sometimes it gets serious. We've got business and we got to talk about stuff or, you know, got to, got to have a talk about, Hey, we, we really need to do it this way next time. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff like that, but when it comes down to it, I get the opportunity at the end of each day to sit back and say, wow, I just got to go hunting uh, and get paid for it. 
you know, not even like a guiding aspect where, I mean, we do a lot of hunts with outfitters, which in that case, my God, we really show up and basically document the hunt, get to hunt. Yeah. Um, but even when we're running the hunts and, and doing like, uh, you'll see a, a, a vlog we're putting out, uh, of a solo public duck hunt that I did with my dog. I mean, that's a lot of work to, to get all that stuff. And it definitely adds to the, to the weight, uh, of not only things I literally have to carry weight wise, but also the, the things that are on my shoulders that I have to do while I'm hunting. You know, I gotta be a, a videographer, photographer, uh, and run the entire hunt, blow a call. I mean, it's, it's a lot, but my God, it's so much fun. And to be able to look back after the hunt and even on these solo hunts, to be able to look back at video that I've got of, of this one flock that worked in or the shot cam video to tell people about this triple. No, like, I swear to God, I, I hit three ducks, like intentionally, uh, you know, I mean, just, just stuff like that. It's so fun. And I've met some of the best people, uh, in my life through all of this stuff. Um, and I'm very happy, which is good for my home life. You know, it's, it's not, I don't make the most money in the world by any means, but I make enough that this is, you know, 90% of the income that I'll make and what other work I have, I do, you know, flying or, or this or that, uh, this is going to be the first year I don't go up and fly in Alaska. So, uh, when I'm up there, that's four months where I don't have cell service. Uh, I have occasional internet and I am away from my wife and now my, my son. And that was a, a big deal. You know, I talked to Cody and, uh, said, man, I, I, I need to, you know, I, this is what I want to do. And, and I want to make this my, my really, you know, full-time thing. He said, all right, let's, let's do it. So, uh, you know, now I, now I don't have to be away from my family for four extra months out of the year. Um, and you know, it's the blessings just continue to roll. And I, I am definitely not deserving. I don't know if anybody deserves, you know, the kind of life that I live and, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't be more grateful for it. That's awesome. Congratulations for that, by the way. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cause I mean, that can be tough being away from your wife from that long. And now that you have a kid, which congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it just that'd be very tough to not be able to call her, talk to your kid or whatever it is for that long. Oh, my gosh. Well, and and that's the thing, you know, most of the people that work up there in in this remote part of Alaska, um, that's their honesty. And then they come back to, you know, seven months, eight months uh, of being home and getting to be super dad or super husband and, you know, taking the rest of that time and not even working for a lot of guys. for me, I spend four or five months up there and then come home and go out on the road to where I'm gone 60 to 70% of the time from when I get home in September to the end of hunting season in uh, March. You know, I mean, it's, it's wild. And then I want to go hunt turkeys on top of it. So <laughs> count me out for the weekends through April and the beginning of May and, you know, May and June, uh, my God, June's usually when I leave to go to Alaska. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's just been a, a lot of time on the road and, you know, I never really got that off season. So I'm super excited to be able to spend this summer with, with my wife and, and my son, um, and my family, you know, I, we just bought a house here in Colorado and we stayed close to family so we could enjoy being around them. And I mean, from, you know, my wife's parents who live 2,200 feet away from us and, you know, in the, the next neighborhood over to my, 
you know, my 90 year old grandma who lives, you know, 15 minutes away. It's just awesome to be able to spend that kind of time with my family. And, uh, you know, that's, we, we've all lost people and you know, that, that time that you get to spend with people, something that you never get to, to redo or, you know, get another chance at, you know, wow. you got to make the most of it while you got it. It's, this has really given me that opportunity to, to enjoy life to its fullest. Absolutely. And I'm with you on that. I, like my grandpa, he's getting up there in age and, uh, we do our deer hunt every year. First weekend in November. And I mean, I wouldn't miss that thing for the world. Even if I don't shoot a deer, like that's the last thing on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, uh, just going through and, and doing some, uh, doing some Photoshop stuff, uh, with my grandpa, like I say, who got me into aviation and got me on my first goose and that kind of thing. Um, and doing some Photoshop stuff. Um, but just going through those and, and looking at all the times that we had together, even just sitting on a bench at the airport, watching airplanes go around, you know I mean? We didn't even talk for 20 minutes. We're just sitting there and he'd drink his coffee and I'd drink a Pepsi or something. But you know, it was, um, you know, that was just, those are times that I wouldn't trade for the world. Yeah. And that's the great thing about hunting too, is, I mean, you can bring your family up and do that with them. I mean, your entire life, which yeah. other sports that your kids may do, or you may do um, football, baseball, whatever it is, you can still play those games, but you can't, you can't do that for the rest of your life, which right. hunting allows you to do. Exactly. And and very rarely can you do stuff like that with such a difference in age, you know, multi-generational. I mean, you don't have, you know, three generations of family on a, on a softball team, typically. You know yeah. I mean? it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to be so wrapped up in a sport that not only allows but encourages uh, situations like that, where it is so centered around family and close friends. You know, that's Those are the memories, and I think that's why people really cling to it the way that they do, because it's one of the few places in their life where they can uh, have all these people together and have everyone actively participating in something as opposed to, well, grandma and grandpa and mom and dad are in the bleachers watching you know, their, their son and grandson, you know, swing at a baseball on a tee, you know, I mean, it's, it's great. And those are special memories, but it's not all inclusive. Like, um, you know, like, like hunting is. Oh, exactly. And I was looking at your uh, profile, like the hunt with you did the hunt you did with your dad for that emperor goose. Oh my gosh. And I will never forget that. That was, those were, it was supposed to be a seven day hunt. The weather uh, kept us from flying into cold day the, the first day. So it ended up being a six day deal, but man, I mean, that's, that is some of the most special time I've ever had with him. And it's something we used to hunt a lot more, but him moving to Alaska and, you know, my busy work schedule, whether it was, you know, baseball after college or, uh, you know, just any other job I've had, or even guiding, you know, I'm, I'm usually so busy guiding dad and I went, I think nine or 10 years without getting to hunt together. Yeah. Um, and then he, then he was able to come down and help with me in Texas. And I mean, we, we still try to do as much as we can, but let's, let's be honest when we turn into adults, it's, it's kind of tough <laughs> to carve time out of a schedule. Oh, exactly. Yeah. How was that emperor goose hunt? That seems like a once in a lifetime opportunity. It was wild. I am going to keep putting in and do my best to keep it from being a once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> 
you know, with dad being Alaskan resident, theoretically he could go buy a license this year or next year and do it a week before he wanted to go hunt them. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool, but, um, man, just, just the, the travel in itself, uh, getting from Anchorage to cold Bay and then going from, you know, the, the, I don't, I don't even know if you'd call it a town. We'll call it a village of cold <laughs> Bay to, uh, to where you're going to hunt these birds and seeing the conditions. I mean, my God, I mean, we were in 40 mile an hour, 50 mile an hour wind with rain hitting us. And it felt like we were being sandblasted. Um, and these birds are hands down the most beautiful goose I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I haven't gotten hold of barnacle goose. Um, but man, I, I would say they're right up there with the most beautiful waterfowl in the world. Uh, just the intricate details and the feathers, the the pastel colors on the bill. I mean, it's one of the most amazing birds you'll ever see. Uh, and to be able to have so many great close encounters with them was unreal. Uh, and frankly, uh, my dad didn't really shoot very well. He missed a few before he got one. <laughs> so we had lots of opportunities. Um and, and he, he harvested it. He, it was wild, man. It, the wind was ripping. Uh, there were giant white caps out, even in this little protected bay. Um, we had a flock of like 10 come and there was a cherry bird that was a nice adult. Um, but for some reason he was actually drawn to a bigger bird in the back of the flock. So, uh, he took a pretty darn long shot in a 40, 50 mile an hour wind and folded this thing up. Uh, I deader than a football, uh, and it fell out there and the guy ran the boat out there to go pick it up and he couldn't see it because of the waves. And we'd been seeing seals come up. And, um, I mean, we, there, there was, even once the bird was down, we were concerned we weren't going to get it because it was either going to get blown out to sea or get eaten by a seal. Um, and he, he eventually found it there. It took him a few seconds, but, you know, kind of worked together and got the bird and he brought it over and, and this thing was just perfect. I mean, golden BB type of thing, uh, beautiful, beautiful, mature bird. And, um, and that was, that was just the start to a great trip. We did some fun sea duck hunting after that, never gotten to do layout boats before. And that was really cool. Um, you know, my butt's still a little bit numb from it, but, uh, you know, being able to, to see sea ducks at eye level was wild. And then at the very end of the trip, spent the last day, um, instead of going and shooting a few more sea ducks, just went out and set up for emperor geese and took pictures and got a few, got a few really cool pictures. And that was kind of my main target for the trip was to get some great pictures. But, you know, the first couple of days were not really conducive to it being in the middle of a typhoon uh, i wasn't about to try and destroy my camera uh just get a few pictures there so um and it was it couldn't have gone any better and you, you talk about the memories of just dad and i getting to lay down next to each other whether in a boat or on the beach getting you know sand mites crawling all over us we had this really awesome encounter oh my god we had this encounter with a fox um we were we were setting up our picture and uh I was walking around. I was looking for habitat to stick on uh, dad's emperor goose mount. And he, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know, 40 yards away. And he just hollers, Hey uh, guys. And, and I've gotten the same call from, you know, fishing clients who <laughs> noticed a bear came out of the bushes between us, you know, client <laughs> or something. Uh, so I you know, kind of turned around expecting to see a bear and there's this red fox who is literally trying to come up to our pile of trophy ducks 
and steal one. And it was really cool because like, obviously dad's keeping him away and blocking him, but this fox is feet from him. And I've got a great video of it. And that uh, fox gave me enough time to go build my camera, work around. And I started taking pictures and he decided he wanted to pose. So he laid down and I got to lay down, I don't know, five feet from him. And it's just some of the most awesome pictures I'd ever dreamt of. Uh, and, and that was yeah, just that in itself was, was enough of a memory that I would have never forgotten. I think so. I, yes. To wrap it up, that cold bay trip for dad's emperor goose was wild. Yeah. That seems like an unbelievable trip. And just the weather that you were talking about. Dude. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> Insane. I, I'm not a boat guy. I'm a float plane guy. I like <laughs> landing up water and taking off from it, but really being on the water not my most comfortable time. Uh, so to take a John boat with a layout boat across this big old bay where I will die if I fall in the water. Dude, way out of my self, but absolutely added to the experience. Oh, absolutely. It's stuff like that that just always makes the experience more fun. If you're not yeah. about to die, like, come on, are you having fun now? Well, yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I'm just throwing out there. Yes, I would probably be having fun without my life be on the line. But you know, it definitely makes for a better story. How about that? Uh, oh yeah, the stories are just unbelievable. Like I was, <laughs> I was talking to Stephen Kornacki about it, and he did the Diverge Six um, winning photo for Waterfall, and he kind of had the same thing. He's like, guys, I don't know what's going on here. Like we're in. 10 foot waves out on like Lake Superior and like we could die out here. (laughs) This water thing is not my cup of tea. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just send it. Right. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. That's water hunting. Water hunting is definitely a different, uh, different breed when you're going out on big water like that. Yeah, that's that's another reason I like small water. You know, my, I like my public sloughs and, you know, even get just a just a touch nervous when I've got to, uh, you know, when I've got to go wade in water that's a little deeper than I like it. You know, I mean, that's that's enough adrenaline for me, let alone, you know, getting out in boats on the middle of these bays, waves, big old white caps like, man, ugh, y'all can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm with you. I like. I like my field hunting and then I like my sheet water hunting and that's about it. If I don't have yeah. to get wet and I don't have to wear waders all the time, like I'll leave it at that. Bingo. But yeah, no, to take one of those trips, definitely, definitely in my book. But I don't think I could do like a guiding deal out there every day that you're in that type of terrain. Ooh, like the King Eider stuff that they do out there. Yeah. Wow. Like, Literally, guys having to soak their guns in salt water to melt the ice to get their gun to work. Like you spent God knows how many thousands of dollars to get here to shoot this duck, and now your gun is literally a solid block of ice that you're throwing in basically rust water to <laughs> you know get this thing to work. Like, oh my gosh! Oh uh, yeah, that'd be that'd be something else. I mean, I've heard stories of up there and it's incredible like the kind of stuff they go through and i was talking to charlie and he's like shit you can't even hunt like half the days just because yeah. the winds are out of control 
Yeah. Like, well, I mean, the, the last windbreak over there is, I mean, the, the next closest windbreak is Japan. <laughs> let's, let's get real for a second. That's, uh, that's, a, that's, that's going to be a little brief. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a nice thing about hunting in the States. I mean, where we're at, we don't get those big winds, but I was down with uh Cadillac a couple weeks ago and they get some nasty dust storms. Yes. Yeah, that's that's something else. If you haven't hunted in West Texas and you know left the hunt feeling like you've just been chewing on sandpaper for three hours, you really haven't hunted. <laughs> oh yeah, that time down there was an absolute blast. Those guys are a, they're a lot of fun. Oh, they are they are great dudes, man. Toby is uh, all of his guys are great, man. Toby has the best heart out of yeah. just about everybody. I mean, he's got a awesome awesome family, beautiful little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just, just, just an awesome guy. Yeah. Really, really top notch outfit down there. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to have dinner at their place, uh, one night and she is one of the smartest people I have ever met. It was incredible talking about history with her. It was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) She, she knows everything and anything and it's insane. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, no, they do a they do a good deal down there. Definitely. Well, and it's it's a unique experience, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's not many places you can hide twenty guys under the decoys and you know shoot a hundred geese on a semi regular basis. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you even on a year that was as tough for southern states as this year, they killed a lot of birds. Oh yeah, they beat them up. They beat them up really good. I was well when I was talking to them. I mean, yeah, like usually their best time is January, but uh, I mean they kind of had a rough time with the birds and the not enough water. I mean they still beat the piss out of the ducks. They said they were kind of um, kind of had a problem with the geese just because there wasn't enough water down there and it was super dry year. I believe it. I mean, it's, it gets nasty and, you know, in the years that I guided down there, um, you know, water's the biggest issue. And yeah. even when you have birds, if you're low on water, they'll, they'll just be basically standing and, you know, excreting bodily fluids into the same water they're going to turn around and drink. And I mean, you're hunting in green water and you, you see how many dead birds there are on a daily basis when you go into, you know, to go scout or, you know, to, to go hunt it, you know, once every week or once every third week or something. And, and it's, it's pretty wild to see just the things that they will put themselves through just to be down where they want to go. You know, yeah. it's a, no wonder, you know, things change migration wise, um, you know, God, if if there's not enough water, these birds are literally killing themselves to be where their ancestors have gone. It's it's pretty wild to think about. Yeah, and I was I was talking to him about that, um, and like what they will go through to get to that water, and some of the ponds that they've hunted. I mean, you'll walk around the edges, and it'll just be goose bones and everything, just because they want to be there so bad that they're willing to die there. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, when they when they get peanuts, they get that fire crawd where they basically have to drink quickly after eating or, or they die. Um, you know, it, it's it's amazing what they'll do for that food or water source. You know, just 
it's a different kind of hunting than you'll see anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I, I didn't even realize, um, they killed that many geese down there until I heard about Cadillac and I didn't realize that it was like such a Mecca down there. Yeah. It's ridiculous what Texas has to offer. I mean, just absolutely stupid. (laughs) I mean, just tons and tons of lessers all in your face. I mean, it was, it was like nothing else. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, then, you know, if you, if you hit it right with the ducks as well, I mean, my God, the, the pintails that you'll see, um, the, the teal, there's, they're just, there's not a whole lot you can't do in Texas. God bless. Everything's bigger in Texas, as they say. Yes. (laughs) Joke. (laughs) Oh yeah. And then are you guys, you said you were talking about Turkey and you get, get ready for Turkey on here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I just got into it last year. So I picked the worst year to get bitten by the turkey bug. Uh, living in Colorado, it's a one bird state. Uh, my cousin Stefan uh, took me out. And within 56 minutes, we had both of our birds down and had taken pictures and were hiking off the mountain. So I had 56 minutes of turkey season and then proceeded to go buy Dave Smith decoys, green camouflage, turkey loads, uh, dude. And God knows how many diaphragms like this. This has been my obsession since April 10th of last year or 11th or 12th, whatever that Saturday was of opening day. Um, and Kansas shut down, which is a multiple bird state. Nebraska shut down. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as neighboring states, I was left with Wyoming, which is another one bird state. So I went chase some there. Um, with the with Kurt actually that's that's where I met Kurt um, from Wyoming that got me on that creek duck hunt was facing turkeys um, and then I went up and hunted with a buddy of mine uh, actually the the gentleman who got me into this and introduced me to Mike Keller all those years back his son Walker uh, really likes hunting turkeys so he invited me up to Montana to go shoot a turkey and we shot a beautiful we actually doubled on beautiful Merriams mm. uh, we were laying under the uh, a semi trailer um, <laughs> and, and hide from these turkeys. They just barely crested this little, little ridge. They gave us a hard time for a little bit, but man, it, it just couldn't end much more perfectly. It was so cool. Uh, and it was just such a really neat experience. And man, even, even just a few birds in, I am all sorts of jacked up about it, have all sorts of big plans to go and, and chase them as much as I can this spring. Yeah, that's awesome. They're such a fun bird to go chase. Last year was my first year shooting one, and it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I, I, well the, the nicest thing to me is not having to freeze to go do it. Yeah. Like, you're telling me that I can sit down and, and shoot a, a bird, and it can be 55, 60 degrees, and I'm not, you know, worried about the weather? Like, you're, you're telling me no wind and blue skies is a what? Wow. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, there's no hate in that game. No. Yeah. I mean, just hearing them in the morning, just that thunder is a noise that you just can't make up. Well, and that's, I mean, I've, I've, I chased Easterns for, uh, I chased an Eastern for a morning on my grandparents' place in Missouri uh, without luck. He was, uh, well, we'll put it this way. Uh, I thought he was on our property and I followed, you know, I, 
just hooting at him and, and kind of worked my way towards his sound until, you know, after walking for three quarters of a mile, thinking he was going to be just a hundred yards down the tree row, I realized he was 200 yards across the property line. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It, it sounds like they're so much closer than they actually are. And I don't know how they do that with their voice, but I mean, you just think they're right there. And then you're like, Oh, you see him down the field, 150 yards away. And then yeah. just got to keep working them up. Yeah. Like, wow. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh yeah. No, but yeah, I want to dig into, uh, so like all the trips that you've made this year, um, and kind of all the new people you've met and whatnot. Um, how was that? I mean, just all these cool, different trips, new states, different types of birds. Like that just, how was that? Ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I don't know of many ways to put it. You know, I've, I met so many great people and had so many awesome experiences, whether it was shooting a ton of birds or just laughing until you can hardly breathe. Um, I mean, it was, it was just awesome. It was absolutely silly uh, from the beginning of the season, going with Cade out to Wisconsin or, uh, you know, or, or Michigan, Connor Goff, man, we had, we had some serious fun with him out there and then hunting with Boyd Sutton and, uh, and his group there at Royal Rock Outfitters in Wisconsin. I mean, that was, that was silly. They're, they're just yeah. great guys. And, um, man, the, the hunting there was insane all the way up to this last trip. I just finished up in, uh, in California and uh we were hunting with uh a couple guys well a lot of guys we we're hunting with to be specific 18 other guys uh, <laughs> Nick and I and uh, you know my god we had a, a 20 man limit of snow geese by 7:33 in the morning Jeez. and a 20 man limit being 20 birds a person or you know 400 birds by 7:33 oh my like, god what <laughs> <laughs> absolutely ridiculous so um and there, I mean, so that, that deal was cool because we still got to socialize, even though it was hot and heavy because there's an orange tree at the end of the field. Uh, so we sat there and peeled and ate fresh oranges off an orange tree, uh, after beating these snow geese up. I mean, it was just super cool. Yeah. Was there any new States that you went and chased them and then you haven't or new species? <sighs> California was a new state for me. Um, I don't know about new species. Uh, I really had fun. I love targeting cacklers. Uh, I got to go do that uh, in Washington a little bit. And that was super, super fun. Um, I like Washington a lot. That's a really cool area. And there's some really neat waterfowling opportunities there. And, and Oregon, too. Uh, Oregon was, was great. Uh, actually, I don't think I'd hunted in Oregon. So, yes, yeah, so that was a first for me there in Oregon as well. Um did some hunting in Montana this year, which was awesome and got to chase, uh, you know, big hawkers, which since the Lester started moving into the front range of Colorado, we haven't had really exquisite honker hunting since probably 2005. Um, and I mean, it's, it's just been a whirlwind. It's hard to even remember everything. Uh, Wyoming was absolutely spectacular, both duck and goose hunting, uh, Nebraska. We did some really cool stuff. Um, gosh it was just awesome all the way around yeah absolutely was there a favorite state that you hunted this year i think wyoming treated me the best yeah yeah that's yeah. awesome 
Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I mean, being able to go see all those different states. I mean, I, I've hunted a few. We hunted Nebraska, Texas, um, Missouri, all that kind of stuff. But to your guys' extent, that's that's a lot of running and gunning, a lot of tired tiredness, I can imagine. You know, it, it gets a little monotonous uh, as far as the hotel life is concerned. Yeah. You know, just wake up early go to the gas station, get your Red Bull, meet the guys, go hunt, go back to the hotel, spend, you know, between two and four hours making a story for Instagram and, and editing pictures just in time to go eat, scout, go to bed, wake up, do it again. And, and you know, three or four, three day trips in a row in different places, it wears you out. Um, so there, there are times, like I said before, where it feels like work, but, um, Man, at the end of the year, like when I was buying a license in Oregon, uh, I had to pull all my stuff out trying to find the license uh, or uh, my my hunter safety card. Uh, And to look at the number of state licenses that I had pulled out and sitting on the counter there was just silly, you know, and and it it just kind of reminds you just how blessed you are to be able to go and experience all this stuff. It's something that. Uh, without this job, I'd never be able to afford even just the traveling to these places. While I might have connections um, or have had connections in the past, I could have never gone and done this uh, without being, you know, being on the job. And it's just so cool to be able to talk about all the stuff that I've been able to do uh, while being on the clock. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even with you, like calling, do you do a lot of calling when you go home with those guys? Yeah, most of the time. Um, there are times where I don't, um, but a lot of the stuff we do when we're going and hunting with either different groups of guys or different outfitters, they're, you know, they're still relatively unaccustomed to hunting over strictly silhouettes and socks. So, uh, it'll be anywhere from, you know, me actually teaching people how to do it, you know, bringing the, the outfitter and a couple guides around and talking to them, explaining how it works and why to going and hunting with guys who really know what they're doing. Um, but, you know, typically they, you know, they, they have me blow a call as well. And, uh, you know, we, we do chase a lot of lessers, uh, or just Canada geese in general, where good Canada goose sounds really go a long way. So sometimes, uh, you know, doing primarily photography, it's, it's a little bit easier than trying to do videography because I can take pictures, blow a call, take some more pictures, blow a call, uh, and, and still get away with it as opposed to where, you know, running a video camera, you can't really one hand that while trying to blow a goose call with two hands and, and, you know, expect it all to come out. Right. Yeah. And with hunting all these different types of species, I mean, adjusting to the new different ways of calling, um, how do you kind of do that? I mean, hunting specs, lessers, big honkers, like, have you learned some kind of new different ways to call while you've been hunting throughout the entire season? You know, I've been really fortunate to have a diverse background in the past, uh, which taught me how to, to call specs. You know, that was what I made my living doing in Texas, mm-hmm. primarily shooting specs and calling specs in to usher the Canada's in behind them because they're, um, you know, in, in the, the place that we were hunting, we're down closer where Stanfield hunts and, uh, you know, they're, those guys and, and the other outfitters in that area blow Canada call exclusively to the point where, you know, when those Canada's hear a Canada geese call, they, it's like they hit a glass wall and freak out and turn around and fly the other way. So, um, you know, you gotta, gotta learn different tricks and, and I've been fortunate to hunt for, what would that be? 
uh, 19 years prior to uh, start working for dive bomb and traveling. So I had a pretty good idea of how to work most of these birds growing up. Yeah. Um, but getting to go and hunt with people who specifically hunt these birds in these areas uh, every day, you, you definitely pick some stuff up. Uh, and that's one thing I think, you know, what, what you find from advanced hunters uh, is their ability to learn. So that's one thing that I do take a little bit of pride in is just knowing when to shut up and just listen to a guy or trust the guy who's running the deal. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's hard as a, as a, a caller who's kind of made a name for himself to yeah. kind of pump the brakes and step back and, and hand the reins over. But man, I've learned some really great stuff hunting some, uh, with some really knowledgeable individuals who may not make the best sounds in the world, but, um, you know, may have a little sequence or, or may time things differently than you do. Uh, and it's, it's just been, it, it's super cool and it, and it helps you become a, a much more rounded waterfowl caller. Yeah. Or just waterfowl hunter in general. I mean, God, heck, uh, looking at the video uh, of the hunt that Kyle went on hunting cacklers in eastern Oregon. I, I forget where he was. Mid eastern Washington, maybe this year. Anyway, they were up there with Lynn points of S2 calls and not even blowing a call, period. Yeah. Big spins of cacklers working, sitting right in the silhouettes, hanging in them. Um, they even had a net collar land in a same flock. Everyone was trying to look at a snow goose because they don't ever kill snow geese where they were. Uh, and they had a, a blue Aleutian net collar sitting in their spread. So oh. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool to see that kind of effectiveness with no sound whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great thing about waterfowl hunters. I mean, you can learn so much and you can like just different ways people do things and how people set up spreads or how people yeah. do certain callings. I mean, when I was down in Texas and learning how they do it all um, and maybe even bring a piece that I could use up in Minnesota um, yeah. and just kind of learning different ways to do things. Yeah. I mean, gosh, even uh, hiding under the socks, you know, I mean, yeah. graders are a different, different ball game, but there's those times where, man, it'd be really nice to be in the middle of that field and we got a good wind. I don't know. You want to swing the bat, give this a shot? Yeah. And that's what, that's what I kind of thought about too, was, I mean, what if I brought, um, I mean, to those tilled cornfields that we run into or the black, just no, no corn in it, no beans in it at all. I mean, what if we did backboards and laid under socks for the graders? I mean, we could give it a run, see how it goes. Um, if it doesn't work out, at least we tried it, but I feel like that could maybe kind of bring a different ball game into it. Yeah. And I mean, just that example in particular, you know, we, we kind of messed around with that this year as well. And, um, you know, on hunting greater Canada's under, under the socks. And while it may not be the first option I jump to, you know, anytime I get the chance, yeah, when I'm presented with that scenario where there's no hide and they're in the middle of a big field, if I've got a wind, I feel confident that I can make it work. And, um, you know, I, I kind of learned that, that they, don't like to come or let me rephrase that they like not having to fly up and over the top of you You have more success if you string it out and keep them downwind of you and try to you know get them to land 25 30 yards downwind as opposed to get them to trying to land on your you know toes yeah uh, but man i mean i i feel confident that you know if, if that was my only option i could definitely go kill uh you know kill my my few graders under some socks yeah 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just trying new things like that, because I feel like that'd be a, just maybe another aspect that we could work on up here um, and bringing that to the honkers that they don't really see because they're used to layout blinds or whatever it is, you know, just trying new things and like experimenting. If it goes wrong, hey, no harm, no foul. But I mean, yeah, few, few less geese you have to clean that night. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, no, it's fun. But I mean, you were talking about too um, on like when you're going with those guys and if they're not used to the sock and silhouette game um, and how you kind of can bring that to them, how do you kind of go about, I don't know how, like showing different people on different ways to do things, um, kind of certain spreads that you could run? Because I know you did a video um, back, you had like five dozen and you spread them out really thick, uh, like really thin, but very far out, covered an entire area. And I kind of took that back because I realized that my spreads sometimes were a little bit too tight and that kind of opened my eyes up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, kind of going off of that, one of the biggest things that I really try to preach to people is, um, you know, especially with silhouettes and a two dimensional decoy that doesn't take up much volume, um, have faith in it. Give it space. Spread these things out. And keep in mind that the two-dimensional decoys only give you that illusion of movement by appearing and disappearing. Um, and while they appear longer in, in a goose's vision because of their monocular type vision, um, man, if you cluster these things together, uh, you know, say instead of having five decoys in a, you know, in a 10-yard space, you've got 50. Um that's a whole lot of geese that disappear all at once yeah. uh, and all of a sudden reappear. And it just looks kind of funny. So I, I always tell people spread them out more than you normally would. Even if it, you know, if the geese are sitting super tight, super tight, spread your stuff out a little bit, uh, have faith in it. And uh, the other thing is to just face them all different directions. You know, I get it, especially in days, you know, geese will often face the same direction. Uh, and there, there's no one that's going to dispute that fact. But when you start chasing all your silhouettes the same direction, it really looks goofy from the air. Um, so when I'm teaching people how to do this, basically, I just try to share a lot of the things that I've learned from flying over, uh, you know, multiple silhouette spreads or just spread in general and in live geese. You know, the, the things you learn from looking at our targets from the air uh, is pretty impressive yeah yeah you make a great point i mean flying with your plane over these spreads and seeing how they kind of set up you have a great viewpoint on what it looks like and i mean even from the death from below videos that i've watched i mean it really shows you what those silhouettes are doing and what they kind of look like yeah yeah and i mean even thinking about your hide, you know, guys will take drones up and sit there and hover their drone and look at stuff and say, man, this doesn't look right. Well, move the drone at 20 to 35 miles an hour. And all of a sudden things start to, you know, it gets harder and harder to pick out things that aren't quite right. So, um, you know, unless you've got a big wind, you got snow geese that'll, you know, do the vertical thing in some wind. Most of the time, these birds are going to be moving around quite a bit and their, their vantage point changes a lot. Uh, and again, their monocular type vision uh, changes how they see things. So you really got to try to put things into perspective when we go and start looking at a spread and try to compare it to what they're seeing when they're looking at a spread. You know, it's, it's 
it's not as easy as, as one would normally think. And typically as hunters, we start wanting to change the thing that we have the least amount of confidence in, which, you know, unfortunately for people who are newer to hunting over silhouettes is going to be the decoys when 90% of the time it's going to be your hide, whether it's, um, you know, your, your pit or your A-frame or your layouts in particular, or it's the tire tracks or the defrosted rectangles that are, you know, right next to where you're hiding uh, from where you parked your trucks and left them running, um, you know, while the rest of the field was getting a nice heavy frost right there at first light. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many things that people just write off as decoy issues um, or spread issues when it's really got something uh, it, it really has nothing to do with the spread. Uh, now I'm not saying that decoys and, and changing decoys doesn't make a big difference because there's lots and lots of times where that happens. But in my experience, most of the times when birds aren't doing it, it's because of something that is wrong with the hide. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with you. And I mean, I feel like I've ran into it. Um, where you're just like, oh, these birds aren't decoying. Let's just switch up the spread quick. And they might redo that. But realizing that, hey, you're in the middle of a field or whatever, and uh, your layout's not brushed all the way up or your head's sticking out or whatever it is. Um, and I feel like a lot of people go to those decoy spreads to blame. Right. Now, if, if you got geese landing in the wrong part of your spread or landing too far out or yeah. sitting on one, the other okay cool you've convinced the bird that you're real they're coming to your spread now you're fine-tuning where you want them definitely a decoy deal um if birds are flaring at 150 yards it ain't the decoys pal (laughs) unless you've got some knocked over and and you know i'll i'll be the first to tell you a silhouette on its side out there especially on a cold frosty morning uh man that that thing turns into a mirror it's bad um which actually, I don't know if you've seen the the fully flocked ones we're coming out with, but uh, that, ooh, buddy, those are going to be a game changer. Having a, a, a decoy that doesn't shine is going to get rid of all of the shine excuses. And I am so excited to hear what people come up with next to say that silhouettes don't work. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but um, you know, aside from aside from those, you know, where where you get a decoy to blow over in a heavy wind. Man, if birds are flaring, uh, it is 90% of the time or not, if not more, going to be because they're seeing something uh, related to you, the predator. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw those new decoys that you guys got coming. That's going to be sweet. Oh, they're so nice. Uh, they're so nice. I will, we're actually going to drop those at the Squad Fest. Oh. Um, that, that should be the opening for them and the Canada floaters. Yeah. So really, really excited. Yeah, that'll be That'll be super fun because I, I mean, we run the black and whites and I love how they're all, they won't frost over anything. Um, yep. And so having that will be a big game changer. It really is. Yep. And I love the black and whites, you know, for visibility and I mix them in with pretty much every spread I hunt over, but to have a, a natural colored one as well that, that won't shine and that is going to pop because of that lack of shine. I, I just, I can't wait, especially once we get to the, you know, the V2As and the fully flocked with the nice, bright, you know, chests. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just going to change the silhouette game. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And how did you guys kind of get going on the V2As with the front facing? Cause I, I really have found a liking on those just because of, they just show so much and they pop out. Well, they add so much depth. Yeah. Now, um, you know, it's something we got to talking about when you look at a spread and you look at our stuff, you know, you're looking at our decoy spreads. It's like, man, I, I see the heads. Um, 
and I, I see the decoys, but they don't, there's something missing. And you, you start taking pictures of geese sitting in a field uh, and comparing it to decoy spread pictures. And, and you notice that gray uh, or light tan is missing. And it's those big chests that are showing, you know, those big, tall sentries that got a big chest or just yeah. just forward facing geese, geese that are facing you. Um, you know, you don't realize how how much of a difference that makes. And as soon as we started printing those uh, and putting them in, it, it's amazing uh, the, the difference it made uh, in adding depth and realism and uh, I'll, I'll brag on the decoys a little bit. Kyle and I did another hunt where we hunted over um, actually the prototypes of the V2AFs with the flocked heads up Ooh. in um, we were hunting and we were actually targeting a Canada that had a white head. So we were killing a few, but you know, really waiting for this one goose, which we ended up, uh, it was kind of a bum deal. We ended up wounding him and he, he landed on the other end of the field. We tried to let him bleed out like a deer and, and after a couple hours, tried to go get him and he flew off. So it didn't pan out there. But the hunt overall was a booming success. Uh, other than the fact that we had a group land and spread, told Kyle to uh, to kill it. And he sat up and rolled the V2A right next to it, sitting there bouncing back and forth <laughs> like a, you know, like a uh, election sign in the wind. Uh, that was, it was pretty awesome. But then they, they came out great. And I remember I Actually, I was taking the pictures for those poses uh, actually down there in Amarillo after hunting with Toby at the uh, hospital park there in Amarillo. Yeah. Uh, and taking the pictures and looking at them and going, man, these are <laughs> these could could either turn out really good or, or you know, kind of questionable. And, and after getting to see the finished product, man, I mean, it's it's unreal. And yeah. I really recommend that guys hunting over our stuff add some of those just because of the added depth that they give. It's it's just another another game changer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you're saying, that big puffy chest and just like pops out of the spread. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's assertive and it, it, your eye is drawn towards it. And I can tell you from flying um, on sunny days and cloudy days, you know, it, it varies whether you see the dark colors or the, or the light colors. And I don't know many places. I think about everywhere I've gone, whether it's hunting or flying wise, I've heard someone throw the statement out. Well, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. You know, we <laughs> our, our weather changes quickly out here. Well, yeah, it changes everywhere quickly. <laughs> so, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. You might be trying to cater more towards a cloudy day and, you know, all of a sudden the sun comes out, the weatherman blew it again. Uh, and now, now you, you don't have the same visibility and, if all you got to do is throw out some of those V2As with, uh, you know, with the flocked heads, especially now you get the best of both worlds. You're going to get a nice dark head uh, that pops on a dark cloudy day and, and you get the nice bright chest that pops on a sunny day. Yeah. And how do you feel about running the black and whites mixed into the just regular love, silhouettes? I love it. I, I mean, I've hunted everywhere from just a few black and whites this year to I'd say probably the majority of the hunts I hunted with black and whites, I hunted over strictly black and whites, you know? Oh, wow. So, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of confidence in them. Some guys, I, they don't, but the one thing that everybody agrees on is it will bring birds toward you and they will see you. So if you're running traffic, especially a little ways off the flight line, the more black and whites you run, the, the more pulling power you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah, because I've always, I've always been hard to decide on how many I want to run in the spread with me. Um, and like you were saying, I mean, if you're going to try to pull them off and traffic them, the more the merrier just for that vision 
and yeah. for them to see it farther away. Um, and then even if you're right on the X, just throwing a few in there just to kind of make it pop out a little bit. Yeah. You know, my, my rule of thumb is, you know, 15 to 25% just for a generic spread. Um, that's, that's what I like to run and and what I think looks the best. And, um, you know, if you watch my field facts stuff, you know, I like to run decoys a long way away with really long family group tails, strong, all, all the hell and gone. I mean, two, 300 yards away from the hide. Yeah. Uh, and I'll mix a couple in, in those family groups just to help my footprint overall. But then I'll throw, you know, in, in the, the main mass is going to be mostly, you know, your standard V2s or V2s. Um, and I'll put a little pocket of black and whites where I want them to lean towards when they finish. Now, they don't always like landing and sitting in those black and whites for a long time, but one thing's for sure, they will always be drawn towards them just out of sheer curiosity, if nothing else. Um, and and they're a tremendous tool. I know guys who hunt over Dave Smith's, uh, who've hunted over strictly Dave Smith's spreads, who won't use other silhouettes, but will throw in black and whites to help kind of add to their footprint and help finish birds in a general area. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, that's not something they're going to see every day. Um, no, like they'll, this is a whole new thing. I feel like is the black and whites now. Well, it's, it's far from new, but yeah. it's definitely something they don't see every day unless they're a 40 or 50 year old goose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a while. So, um, it's cool. And while other companies make black and white decoys, no one else does a fully flocked black and white. And the, difference between just painted black or printed black and black flocking is stupid i mean yeah never never seen anything like it as soon as these things came out when cody you know took me out to go take the product pictures up there in st louis i i just knew it was going to be a, a game changer and those black and whites are really one of my favorite tools to use yeah and i mean even if you look at the v2s regular and then the v2 flocked heads how much more that flocked head brings out in the spread that i've noticed is unbelievable yeah Yeah. no and and don't get me wrong there's definitely a place for standard unflocked decoy i mean my god most of the time if you're hunting an x geese are coming there anyway you just need something up but if you're running traffic those flocked heads uh really pop and and the way i i like to describe it is the more you need to be seen the more flocking you should want you know whether it's a ton of flocked heads or if you're you know really trying to pull some traffic and make it look big man throw some of those black and whites out or even if you don't need to make it look big if you want to hunt a small spread but still want to be seen use black and whites if you're hunting ducks oh my gosh that is probably the best application for black and whites uh, whether it's on the edge of the water or in a field somewhere, you make a black spot and put some spinners up and you will have ducks in your face. That's just how it works. As long as you don't completely blow the hide, ducks love black and whites. Yeah. Yeah, because I saw you guys did a uh, hunt like that. Um, I don't know where it was, but I remember you were saying something about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah I've never, I, I, I've never I, really thought about it like that. Yep. Kyle was hunting in Columbia and there's a lot of coots up there. Um, and the coot rafts are what pull the ducks. Yeah. So he cut shoreline in black and whites, making it look like coots and he smashed them. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, just a whole different way, a new tactic to try that out. And I mean, just to use it on ducks and not even on geese. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you gotta, if you want to change the game or, or adapt the game, you got to think outside the box sometimes. And that means doing stuff you're uncomfortable with, like hunting over a pure black and white decoy. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty weird. You know, I, I grew up, uh, the front range of Colorado was basically just, you know, full body heaven. If you didn't have full bodies, you didn't have a shot. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was, that was kind of what I grew up with and lived and died by full bodies and just assumed I was going to spend two to three hours putting out decoys every morning. Um, and when I started hunting over silhouettes in Texas, uh, man, my eyes were opened and I realized that I had been working way too hard <laughs> to kill geese. And don't get me wrong, there's there's a time for full bodies. And I yeah. think, you know, that, that's the other thing. A lot of people get the wrong idea and think that, you know, we as, as being a primarily a, a silhouette company, um, you know, don't think that full bodies are great or that, you know, think that we need that you should just be hunting over just silhouettes. No, I mean, man, they work awesome with full bodies and especially the better looking the full body, the better these work because they're pictures of geese. You know, it's, it's actually a good thing to, to base your full bodies off, off of, you know, Hey, how's, how's the color on my full body compared to this picture of an actual goose? Um, you know, there's, there's some really neat things that you can do with those tools. Um, but, you know, when I really got into hunting over silhouettes, it, it changed my opinion. And I realized that, I don't know, probably 75, 80 percent of the time I can kill the same number of birds, which is, you know, a limiter close to it with a half or, or less of the work. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about silhouettes. I mean, you can wake up an hour later. The picking up is way easier. You can throw two dozen under your arm and go set them out like no problem. And you can only grab. Okay five full yeah. bodies and so yeah just that to, to, piece of it alone is just a great deal yeah there's so many aspects of it where it's nice um you know public land my gosh i uh kyle and i did a public land hunt this year where we walked in i think it was 15 or 20 dozen duck silhouettes and you know four dozen floaters and covered an entire flooded pond uh we that, that was a good day we'll, we'll just say that um and then uh you know, the, the truck, the heck for, for guys that guide, my gosh, we're, we're guiding out of pits all the time in Colorado. Uh, I can fit 120 dozen decoys in the back of my truck under the topper. Uh, yeah. and if I have to carry anything else for the hide or there buckets to sit on and a heater, I can fit 120 dozen decoys in my truck. The amount of money that I saved on gas my first year, uh, guiding with silhouettes versus pulling a trailer, uh, and, and carrying full bodies was enough to buy another 50 dozen full bodies. So, um, it's, it's a game changer there. And just for, for time, like you say, to, to put out and pick up when I'm alone, mm-hmm. I can draw the 40 dozen decoy spread in less than an hour and be comfortable knowing that I ran a big enough spread to be seen. You know, it's not like, all right, I don't really want to put out all 20 dozen full bodies. You know, I'll, I'll throw out five or 10 dozen. No, like I, I can, I can still cover a country mile if I want to. Uh, and it can still look like a really goosey spread where these birds are in there and they're comfortable. And, um, you know, I can do it by myself if I have to. Yeah. And I mean, like all waterfowl hunters, I mean, stuff happens in the morning, you get a flat tire, whatever it is. And I was talking to Toby and he had a flat tire. And I mean, without silhouettes, there'd be no way they could have even hunted because he had to drop the trailer, drop his truck. And then they had to just load up 
the truck bed full of silhouettes and still get yeah. to the hunt on time. Yeah, you're not you're not doing that with full bodies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, because you you just can't. It's like physically impossible to load that many full bodies into a truck. I mean, yeah, and that's the great thing about it. And then I wanted to get back to, uh, I mean, even running like different spreads. And up here, we'll get snow geese every once in a while on our roost. And I just picked up like a dozen snow geese silhouettes from you guys and put them out in the spread just to kind of make it pop. And they love landing right next to them. Like, yeah, especially with the, those black, that rich soil that you've got, those black tilled fields, man. I mean, those white decoys really show up. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And it's like they see them on the roost and they're like, okay, yeah. Not many people are throwing out a couple snow goose decoys here and there in the spread. Um, yeah, and it just worked out really well. That's awesome. I love hearing that. And that's one that, you know, I don't hear many guys that hunt honkers, you know, finishing birds on your snow goose decoys. You know, like usually that's that's not the case. So it's really cool to hear that, you know, right back to learning different things from people to hunt in different parts of the country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was interesting because I was like, yeah, you know, I'll try it out um always down to try new tactics and whatnot and i mean every side that we had the snow geese on that's kind of where they wanted to be at i don't know if it's because they saw them on the roost and they felt safe next to them or what but yeah it was uh it was pretty neat to be able to experience that that's awesome but yeah no just just back to those tactics on trying new things and then i kind of wanted to dig into the socks and like kind of when you feel like a good placement would be because we don't run many socks up here um just because i don't know i've just never really done it and i've always kind of wondered on like those big honkers um when it'd be like a good time to run them well the the way i like to describe it a if you don't have wind don't run them and our decoys hold their shape better than any other sock i've ever hunted over i still hate socks without wind and don't get me wrong. You can still do it. You can still hide under them and it's effective, but I lose my comfort level when that wind isn't blowing because now instead of having birds coming in, staying reasonably low and, and, you know, and just finishing, they're circling and circling and circling. And it just doesn't quite look right, especially on a sunny day where you've got a lot of shadows being cast on the decoy itself and the, in the wrinkles of the, uh, the material. So, um, have wind. And I don't mean a lot. I mean, you know, five to seven mile an hour or better, uh, is, is great for socks. And I, with our decoys, I feel pretty confident running them up until you got about 40 miles an hour. You know, I'm yeah. past that. You really got to have the bills shoved into the ground and, <laughs> um, that way they're not doing the death wobble on you. But, um, the, the main way I determine how many socks I want to run is, is I think about how my, what species I'm hunting, whether it's ducks, snows, cacklers, graders, lessers, um, you know, how do they act in a field, um, you know, for snow geese or ducks or, or, or cacklers and lessers, when they hit the field, a lot of times they are, I mean, not much shy of a dead sprint. So you've got birds that are super, super active and moving around. Uh, and that movement, is really well mimicked by socks. So if I'm hunting those more active birds, I'll feel more confident running a lot of socks. Like, uh, God, snow goose spreads. I've hunted over entirely sock spreads quite a few times, and it looks really realistic because yeah. stuff's moving. Um, when it comes to greater Canada's, 
I typically don't run many, if any, socks unless yeah. I'm hiding in them, um, just because they're typically a lot more stationary bird. You know, they hang out and they kind of mm. meander through a field and pick here or pick there. Now, if the field's really been fed out or there's a lot of competition, then they're moving around a lot. And I would consider, um, you know, using some more, a higher ratio of socks to silhouettes. Um, but, you know, this is where it comes back to, you know, do your freaking homework. Watch your geese, watch them in the field or in, in fields of that type in your immediate vicinity. And I'm not talking once every two months. I mean, you, you got to keep up on them see what they're doing day to day and do your best to mimic it. And, you know, the socks, I feel like either a create realistic movement or B give you something to hide under. So it just depends what you're trying to get out of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, like you're saying with the Canada's, I mean, they aren't moving much. I mean, just from the pictures that I've taken or just watching them, I mean, you'll see geese just laying down, hanging out there, not doing much and just kind of doing their own thing. Um, not very much movement in the field. Yeah. Yep. No, that's, that's it. And different times, you know, I mean, I don't think I ever use a sock on a, on a loaf setup, you know, like if, if birds are, you know, if you're trying to shoot a midday, coming back after a feed, a lot of them are sleeping. That's, that's not really a time for socks because they're, they're not <laughs> moving around a whole lot. It's usually a, you know, like a sleeper shell or sleeper silhouette kind of game. Um, so you know, just, just be mindful of what you're trying to mimic. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to uh, ask about those new goose floaters you guys got going on. Those things are uh, sweet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one piece, uh, it's it's honker size, so they're going to make a nice big footprint on the water, uh, even if you don't have a whole bunch of them. And the detail on them is great. Uh, they, they look really nice. I like the colors on them. Um, and from what I've been around them, I, I feel like they're going to be a really nice, durable decoy. You know, again, this is the second time we've come out with the decoy right at the end, just after hunting season. So I haven't gotten to play around with them a whole lot, you know, hike them out, stick them all in a bag and, and you know, beat the tar out of them. But um, if they're anything like the F1 Mallard floaters, these things are going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That'll be super fun to kind of watch what you guys do with them. And then even like your public land stuff and to kind of see how it all works out. That'll be really neat to see. Yeah. I'm excited to use them. And, and there's so many opportunities that we've got and, and we've got a lot of things in the works, a lot of products coming out and a lot as far as a decoy line that we're going to end up coming out with. But, um, Man, these, these Canada floaters have been one that we've been looking forward to for a long time with the, you know, the river hunting that we do, the, uh, the, the day loaf type hunts, uh, stuff in, in Texas or Kansas on, on farm ponds, Oklahoma. I mean, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff that, that you're going to see coming from us next year over these floaters. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, like even up here, the amount of loaf ponds we hunt, um, and just to have those, it'll be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I again, I, I think they look awesome and, um, you know, just adding some three-dimensional stuff or, you know, giving, giving birds something to center up on in the water, uh, yeah. really, I think goes a long way as opposed to just having stuff sitting on the shore and ankle deep in water, even if it's just, you know, a, a half dozen decoys to give them something to center up on out there in the water. And then, you know, finish maybe between the floaters and the, the shoreline. I mean, you can, you can set it up a bunch of different ways, but, um, you know, floaters are really a, 
as everybody has known for a long time, you know, they, they're quite the asset when hunting water. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're kind of running up on time. Um, but I wanted to kind of say, is there anything that, you know, we wish we could have went over that we could go over quick, um, that you'd think that we didn't cause we covered the map pretty good though. Yeah. Basically, I just want to reach out to anybody out there that has questions about any of this stuff or anything waterfowling uh, related or photography or flying. I mean, if there's anything I can do to help you, reach out to me. Um, send me an email at forest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T, at dieballindustries.com. Uh, or feel free to shoot me a text. My phone number, 970-227-3120, day or night. Don't worry about bugging me. If I'm too busy with the baby or my wife or work or something, it's not going to bother me to receive a text. And I promise I will get back to you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, as you found out, I'm not as good uh, with social media stuff just because I'm on so many, you know, I, I do dive bomb stuff and my stuff and you know, on multiple platforms with that. So it's easy to kind of get lost there. So reach out to me directly. Um, I wouldn't be where I am without people helping me get to this point. And I would love to be that guy that, that helps people uh, attain their goals, whether it's just shooting a few more birds a year or getting into taking pictures or becoming a guide or a world champion caller, whatever I can do to help you, please don't be shy, reach out um, and, and just let me know what I can do to help you out. Yeah. Appreciate it for all you do for us. I mean, thank you for that. Cause I know nope. that definitely will help people out and all the help that you're willing to give and hop on the podcast. It's truly incredible. Incredible. Well, thank you for taking the time to make a podcast to, you know, you're kind of doing the same thing that we, that we like to do and uh, bringing new hunters into it and pointing them in the right direction. So thank you for all that you do. Well, thanks Forrest. I appreciate it. And I'll uh, talk to you soon and have fun with the new baby. Sounds great, buddy. Thanks a bunch. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, right, brother. Thank you. Bye. And that wraps things up today with Forrest Carpenter. And what a great dude to talk to. I had a blast chatting with him today. And it was just, you know, one of those things, man. Just a really humbling dude. Loves what he does and is willing to help really anybody out. Like, sincerely anybody out. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a great thing to see in the waterfall industry today because some of those morals have been lost. Um, you've seen around, and it's just really, really good to see that coming back to life through him. So I want to say thank you to Forrest. And make sure to uh, go check out the Squad Fest that Dive Bomb's holding the 11th and 12th of June. They're going to be holding a big-time calling competition. They're going to be bags, food trucks. It's going to be really cool and really fun and i'll be down there so hopefully meet some of y'all and uh it'll be it'll be a good time man so hope you guys enjoyed this one i know i did and uh we'll talk to you